morning. Glad you're here this morning. It's almost Christmas, so I'm excited about that. Excited about um, what the Lord might teach us this morning. And so, if you would turn to Luke chapter 2, some boys are going to pass out some sermon notes with some fill in the blank if you like to fill in the blank. Want to make you aware of a couple of resources that I think might be worth your time. Out on the in the foyer, there's several several copies of this little book called The Case for Christmas. It's just um, some um, look into like the the uh, the historical background of Christmas and some investigations that's been done. So this is a free resource. Take that, give it away. Um, if you've already read this and like to give it to somebody, please take all those today and give them away. If you um, if you like to, as a family, grow together in in the Lord and. Um, and what he's doing and use this Advent time to celebrate that. There's a great book by Paul David Tripp called Come Let Us Adore Him. It looks like this. And um, I don't have extra copies of this out on the foyer, but there are plenty of these on Amazon. And so if you'll just Amazon that, it'll get here to you this week and you can start or catch up where you have um, have already um, missed. And so anyways, those are just a couple of resources that, that I recommend that you might um, grow together in the Lord uh, this Christmas season. So excited. Uh, I'm unfortunate how fast things go. And so um, how fast it already is here that it's December the 1st. and But it happens this way. And so here we are. And uh, no longer are we uh, having these 300-day countdowns till Christmas because Christmas is only just a few days a few days away. So I want to spend, um, spend some time this morning continuing our series of The Blessing and the Curse. Uh, spend some time in what we'll call like a Jesus sandwich this morning. Start with talk of Jesus. Jesus, then in the middle, talk about uh, the sin of compare, and then end our time um, talking about Jesus. So if you ever hear me talking about Jesus this morning, you'll either know that we're at the beginning of the message or the end, and you can just determine there where you'd like to, um, to find hope in that. Let me pray for us again. Lord, thank you for this time to gather and this time to study your word. And I pray this morning, God, that we would hear from you. God, that we would be taught by you, convicted, encouraged by you. God, that we might bring you glory this morning by the way that we respond to you, by the way that we're in obedience to you. And we're trusting um, that the birth of Christ is not just some distant memory or nostalgic event, or just some moment in history that we celebrate now with lights and decorations and presents, but instead, God, maybe even this morning we would be fully understanding, as much as our brains can contain, what you have done for us in sending yourself through your Son to come and take our place so that we might be with you forever. So God, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. We've been studying the blessing and the curse and how our lives can be um, not walking in the curse or walking in flesh, not walking in sin, but instead walking in the blessing of Christ and how then that can be used to be a blessing to others. And so my hope this morning is that you will leave here gift-wrapped, ready to be a present to other people. Okay, you ready for that? Let's read from Luke chapter 2, 
the story about Jesus being born. We'll start in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day... Born uh, for born for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Have you thought much about that? You probably have. Zach just moments ago gave us a good picture of someone carrying a baby and trying to uh, live life holding a baby. Um, think about for a moment here. The shepherds are, have just been told about a royal birth, about the Savior of the world, about this King who has come to, to save, the Messiah. And their identification, or how they're going to identify that He is the Savior of the world, sent by God, is by being wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. One is very normal, very peasant-like, very not out of the ordinary, but instead the opposite of that, very ordinary. Most babies are wrapped in swaddling cloths, except for royal babies, right? You've probably seen pictures of royal babies draped in royal regalia, golden, long onesies, I guess. I don't know if they're onesies or not. Draped in this, and the royal family is surrounding them, saying, this is our soon-to-be-crowned king, or it's a prince of ours, royalty, dressed in this royal robe. And here's Jesus, simply dressed or wrapped and swaddling clothes. Very normal. Almost like too simple for us. He's going to be the Savior of the world, the Messiah, yet he's going to be wearing a simple, baby, normal, redneck onesie. If Jesus was to wear a onesie, parents, you know what I'm talking about. This seems to be the trend now to make these onesies when Reese was born. Uh, because his name's Reese, we made a bunch of onesies that said Reese's Pieces and had cool little Reese's Pieces on it. You would think, though, that maybe the angels would say, you're going to go find this baby Jesus dressed in a, wrapped in a onesie, and you'll know it's the Savior of the world because his onesie will say something like raised in a barn, or future Savior, or boss baby, or craving pure spiritual milk, <laughs> or like today's trend straight out of heaven or maybe something more identifying no womb in the end maybe that's on his onesie or maybe to borrow some lyrics from a contemporary song so this is Christmas and that's Jesus in the onesie I thought that was going to get the most laughs apparently you don't listen to Christmas music <laughs> or maybe you're just anti-John Lennon royal babies okay no more crowning around we'll move on the problem is in our world today we're always in search of something glamorous something appealing to the eye something better than what we already that we already have when we look at Jesus 
wrapped in swaddling cloths, normal, everyday cloths, lying in a manger, we begin to compare ourselves and say, couldn't that be me? He's so normal, so simple. He's just a normal guy. What's so special about this Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths? We want something glamorous. Give us the gold onesie. Give us the long, flowing, royal regalia. Give us something regal to look at here. We're always on the search of that, for, the, for, for that. Since the beginning, since the curse happened, since the fall happened. I mean, constantly think about your own life, comparing towards things and looking towards what might be better than what we now have. And the angels giving the identification to the shepherds, they're going to a place they normally go. To a place that animals are kept. Sure, we, we know where this place is. Sure, we know what a manger is. There's nothing glamorous about it. Unless you're a sheep and you want to go there for shelter and for food and whatnot. But we are constantly, constantly comparing. Constantly wanting something better. Better clothes, better vehicles, better couches, better houses, better spouses, etc. We're constantly comparing, constantly longing for, wanting what we think is better. And so we fall into this trap, the sin of compare, where Jesus is enough, and we know that he is, and we see what he's done, we see the prophecy about him, yet we constantly compare, thinking that there may be something, there might be something better. And in our world today, media, particularly social media, is not helping at all. Again, no media is helping, but particularly social media is not helping at all. Look at what these people did for Thanksgiving. How come we haven't, or I haven't done that or received that? Why are they getting those things and I'm not? Why did they have a great Thanksgiving and I just had to sit at the kids' ta table and listen to foul jokes? It's a struggle that we all constantly go through, the sin of, the sin of compare. Jesus, though wrapped in swaddling clo clothes or cloths, lying in a manger, though he looks so ordinary, truly there is nothing that we can compare to him. He is a nothing compares king. Nothing compares to him. There's nothing in this world or outside of this world that compares to our Savior, Jesus. So if you look at your little handout here, comparing, or the sin of compare, is seeking to find your created Savior, what you think your Savior should be. So you're seeking in the sin of compare. The sin of compare is seeking to find your created Savior instead of the Savior creator. We constantly are looking for and searching for what might be better. What can I create or what is created that might be better? So let's go back to the curse. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. It's towards the front of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. We'll look at this together. Kind of study for a second. This is the middle portion already. It's a present gift to you. 
We just talked about Jesus, the bread of life. One slice of the bread. I'll get to the second slice in a moment. This is the middle, okay? Talk about the curse for a second. Now the serpent, verse 1 of chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty than any, of the, any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So here's a comparison already of words that God had said, coming from the evil one, the crafty one. And the woman said to the serpent, serpent, we may eat of the tree, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Comparison again of the words. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. A comparison of truth, a comparison of statement, a comparison of who are we going to trust in. We're going to trust the words of the Lord and trust our own interpretation of this, our own thoughts. We're going to trust the words of the evil one. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You still want this, right? I mean, join me in this, right? You, you want to know good and evil. Most of us desire to be good people, again, like we talked about before, when Paul is telling us not to return evil for evil, but bless those instead of curse them. And we're not wanting, we're not desiring necessarily to be evil people. But the fall here has led us to be a rebellious people who oftentimes turn towards evil instead of what is right. Sin rising up in us. Our own fleshly, earthly desires controlling us, taking over us. And so we want to. We have a longing to know what is good, what is right. We have a longing. We want to know everything that God knows. We desire for that. Many of you have told me that. Many of you have not told me those specific words, but I've watched you tell me that. You want to know just as much as God. And when we be begin to compare, God, why do you know these things and I don't? We begin to live out that George Strait famous song about trying to take someone else's chair, allowing the Lord to stay on the throne and understanding that we are not God, that only He is God. George Strait said something about, excuse me, but I think you've got my chair. Okay. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she made her own comparison. Here's what, I, here's what will happen to me. Here's what I think will happen to me. Her own trust in false words. She compared. She began weighing these options out, deciding for herself, and, and Adam also deciding for himself, What's more important? And at this moment, I know it's not the best day to talk about this, about weight and scales following Thanksgiving. I understand that. So I'm wanting to kind of hammer that home for a moment. So I want to get your eyes and your mind and your heart and your soul and your overworking heart at the moment <laughs> thinking about 
how we weigh things out. Our measurement for determining what motivates us, what we will be obedient to, what we will worship, what we will follow. She begins comparing the words of Satan, her own words, and the words of God. And whose will I whose will I trust? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. A delight to the eyes. It's so glamorous. It looks so it looks so good. It looks different from the rest of the fruit and trees in the garden. It must be. It must be good. How do we measure that? How do we determine those decisions? How do we make that comparison and, and decide, decide our next step or our next actions? And verse 7 says this. After the rebellion, after the, the distrust of God's words, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths or covering. So in this moment of rebellion, they begin to see, like God sees them fully, but as sin entered and rebellion happened, sin led to shame and regret and guilt, and so they wanted to cover those up. I wanted to cover the shame, the guilt, the sin. Let's cover this nakedness up. And so they began to wrap themselves in things of the world. Begin to wrap themselves in things of the world. And we still do this today. Simply stated, do we not have body image issues in our world today? I wish I looked like them. I wish my body was like this. Do we not have clothing issues today, even within the church? I wish I I dressed as well as Chase Fusick. I wish I looked as well as whoever the case may be. Whoever you think looks good in here. Josh. I wish I had a beard like Josh's. We, We constantly do this. And we wrap ourselves up in this sin of compare. What I hope that this morning you see is God has given us the greatest gift of all to remedy this. The greatest gift of all, the most simple, too simple, too ordinary, the nothing compares king. So let's look at some of these comparisons that happen. Comparing leads to never knowing enough, that's your first blank, having enough, it's your second blank, or being enough. Same word three times. Let you write that. Comparing leads to never knowing enough, having enough, or being enough. Comparison, the sin of compare, leads us down the path of focusing in on what we don't have. So we, we constantly focus in on Christmas is the perfect time. Hey, what's your wish list? Well, 
well, let me think. I can list. I have a whole list of things I don't have that I want. So I'll just give you this list. Here's all the things our kids love. Amazon. Here's our here's our wish list. Here's all the things that we that we don't have and that we desperately need. On that list is not love, grace, mercy, compassion. None of the fruits of the spirit, by the way. I don't know what's wrong with my kids, but it's always an iPad, like like their dad. Comparing always leads to never knowing enough, having enough, or being enough. Think about what Satan tempted here with. Don't you want to know these things? Absolutely, I want to know. I don't know enough. Obviously, I don't know enough. It's a trust or a distrust in the Lord's Word. How many of us still to today? We compare. Do we know enough? I need to gain more knowledge about God. And maybe when I know enough about God, then I'll be able to serve Him correctly or rightly. Comparing the sin of compare always leads to never knowing enough, having enough, or being enough. And probably the last one of that being enough is the most difficult. Because of the guilt and the shame, how many of you deal with that? Well, I'll never be like Mandy, or I'll never be like Morgan. They're always going to outdo me and be so much better than I am. I'll never be enough. And can I say, when you say that, and you say those words to yourself, and that desperate plea, and that, that plea that sounds like depression, it's the perfect place to be, knowing that you will never be enough. So Lord, what's the, what's the remedy? What's the remedy to not having enough, or knowing enough, or being enough? Well, let me send you the one who is enough. Let me send you my son who knows enough. He's all-knowing, who has enough. He's all-powerful. He owns everything who is currently, was currently, and will be, always be enough. Jesus is enough. Comparison, comparison or the sin of compare always leads us to focus on what we don't have. And as believers, saints in the room this morning, someone who's following Jesus, your first responsibility is at the bottom, bottom there, but your responsibility to fight against the sin of compare is to focus on your vertical relationship with Christ. To preach to yourself that you have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. That He is enough. Focus there first. Uh, I think that we see this in the fall. Eve is wanting more. Adam is wanting more. Comparing is, is a seeking of self instead of seeking the Savior. What if Adam and Eve would have fought back against the serpent's words like Christ fought back in the, gar- in, the, in the wilderness? No, the Lord is enough. His words are enough, and I'm going to live by every word that He has said. I'm going to trust in God's words and not my own or yours. Instead, I'm going to trust in the words of the Lord. When we fall into the sin of compare, usually it's a seeking of self. I want myself to be better. How can I better myself? I look at someone else and I say, oh, I wish I was like them, so I'm going to do these things. And we wrestle with that. And you will continue to wrestle with that as long as you seek self instead of the Savior. And to remedy that, you must deny self and seek the Savior. Uh, comparing fuels, it's another, the next blank there. Comparing fuels an identity crisis. An identity crisis. Comparing says, who am I? Compare leads us to an identity crisis. Why can't I be like them? Who am I? I feel guilty. I feel uh, shame. I feel like I, I, I don't have a good, 
a good, you know, um, a good enough life, or whatever the case may be. And so we have this identity crisis. Adam and Eve were were perfectly fine prior to their rebellion, and then post rebellion, sin entered into their life and to their world. They had no idea who they are. So let's cover up who we are, and we still constantly deal with that. Who am I? Who am I? What what is this? Who am I supposed to be? And we get wrapped up, just like Adam and Eve, we get wrapped up in earthly things. And we either say, don't look at me because I'm not clothed, I'm naked, full of shame and full of guilt. Or, Or the next problem that happens with our identity crisis is the church, many of us have fallen guilty to this. We become like the story in Luke chapter 18, the tax tax collector and the Pharisee. And we begin comparing righteous resumes. So it's either a don't look at me because I'm full of guilt and shame or look at me because of how awesome I am. And it's both an identity crisis. Identity wrapped up in shame and guilt or identity wrapped up in self. And the only remedy for that is Jesus and us being clothed in him, allowing him to provide the identity. This is what happens. If we're to move on through Genesis chapter 3, God then clothes them, makes a sacrifice for them, kills an animal, and clothes them with his provided clothing. And so their identity then Clothed in what God has provided. Someone, Bill Boss is not here. Someone should have said amen. Comparing fuels an identity crisis. Either my resume is bad, and I need to work on that and make it good, or my resume is better than everybody else's, and I need to work on that with some humility. Comparing always questions worth. The last blank you have there. Comparing always questions worth. Am I worthy or is this worthy? Am I worthy of the love of the Lord? Am I worthy of the mercy? Am I worthy of being clothed in the righteousness of God? Or the opposite of that? Is God worthy of being served? Is God worthy of my time? My worship, my feelings, my repentance. Is he worthy of this? And you wrestle with that. When we begin to compare ourselves to the things of this world, compare ourselves to other righteous, holy people, we begin to wonder about our worth. I would love to say no one in this room has issues with that. So I'm only teaching this so that you can go and help other people. But I know starting here, how many of us deal with this? Am I worthy? From a recent quote from a movie that we quote often, it's not about you, Bob. It's not about your worthiness or your unworthiness. It's about the worthiness of the I am. It's not about are you or am I worthy, but instead it's about the worthiness of the I am. Comparing is always a weighing of options. You look at social media and say, I want to be like these people because they look awesome. 
Or I don't want to be like these people because they don't look awesome. I want to be righteous. How do I get there? I want to be holy. How do I, how do I get there? I want to have a firm identity in Christ. What do I do to, to do all these things? And it's just constant weighing. A weighing of knowledge. A weighing of what's best. And the sin of compare is always, is always helping you, fueling you to measure those things. And so the hope is this morning that no longer will you use the sin of compare to measure or to be your metric, to be your plumb line. Instead, you'll join in what the prophets of old said, that Jesus, the righteous one, will be the plumb line, be the measurement, be the metric, the nothing compares king will be the thing that we measure our life by, determining if we're worthy, determining if we can receive love, determining what our identity should be in or should be be like. You know, and I've taught you this before, maybe you should go back and just listen to the sermon on the weight of glory. But the Hebrew word for glory, the Hebrew word for glory really means to put weight to something. We're putting God on the scale. We're saying, God, are you worthy? And what are we putting on the other side of the scale to compare to? Things of this world? Our sin? Our good works? Are you worthy? What are you comparing? When we go back to body image, or we go back to uh, the things that we desire of this world, or we we go back to any of those things, what is our... What is our measurement? The cool thing about the Bible, as it constantly points us to, who will receive all glory? God. He will always outweigh everything. That's why our focus is always back to Him. We preach the gospel to ourselves constantly because there's nothing that compares to Him. Nothing. He will always outweigh everything. You think you have a good resume? Put it up next to the Lord's. You think you have a good body image? Put it up next to the Lord's. You think you have a good uh, righteous works? Put it up next to the Lord's. You think you have a good vision for your life or for the church even? Put it up next to the Lord's. You think you have a great vision for the world? Put it up next to the Lord's. God's ways, God will always, always outweigh everything. He is a nothing compares king. Even if it's simply wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, even in that scene, nothing compares to him. Try. You can try, but nothing compares to him. When the sin of comparison creeps in, usually what's happening is we're saying, I'm not getting the Savior I wanted. I'm not getting the Savior I wanted. So I'm going to alert, search. I'm going to look for more things, created things that might save me. Just like on Christmas morning back in fifth grade, when I opened it up and there was a razor that my parents gave me, and I said, this is not what I wanted. And I'm going to keep searching and keep searching until I open up the gift that I truly want. The answer is, like my parents told me, it may not be the gift that you wanted, but it's absolutely the gift that you need it. And Jesus may not be the gift or the Savior that you want, but he is so desperately the Savior that you need. We have a nothing compares king. Nothing compares to him. Isaiah 46. 
another good sermon if you want to go back and look look through that or listen to that. But Isaiah 46. I just want to read a few things to you from Isaiah 46. Bell bows, bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beast and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. When you compare things of the world to who God is, they only become a burden. A burden. I want to dress better. I want to act better. I want to speak better. I want to live better. I want to manage time and money and whatever else better. I want to be a better dad, a better mom, a better husband, a better wife. I want to be a better teacher, preacher, whatever the case may be. We're always, always comparing. All that comparison only leads to more burden upon us and more weight. I don't know if you remember from last week, but Isaiah 9 says that Jesus, our Savior, came to bear those burdens for us. Listen to me, verse 3 says of Isaiah 46, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me before your birth carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to the gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear and I will carry and I will save. To whom? Will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Verse 8, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. There is none like me. We must remember this. We must remember that there is no one like God. He is a nothing compares king. Nothing compares to him. Isaiah 64 says, When we take our righteous deeds before the Lord, they're like filthy rags, dirty napkins. They're, not, they're nothing compared. Even our goodest, goodest, goodest work is like my grammar. It's terrible. Or my use of commas, MJ. It's terrible. So we must preach the gospel to our to ourselves. We must see that we must be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Isaiah 61. I will rejoice, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself out like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. You struggle with 1 Peter chapter 3, women not adorning yourselves with outward look. It's because inwardly, the work that's being done by Christ should flow out, and outwardly people should see that you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That our identity is in Him and Him alone. And just as God clothed Adam and Eve in new garments to cover their shame and their guilt. So Jesus wraps us in swaddling cloths of righteousness, of His righteousness, that we might be walking in the blessed life instead of the cursed life. Not a blessing and measurements of today's world. Again, go back to the sin of compare. We're not comparing blessedness in earthly terms, but in everlasting terms. That we might no longer walk in the cursed life, but instead the saved, blessed life. No longer comparing 
what we think is right and holy, but instead walking confidently in what we know to be right and holy. And that is Jesus. Morgan read this earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He is wrapping our lives up in his righteousness so that his glory can be put on display for the world to see. But the answer to the rebellion and sin and heartache of this world is not more stuff or better resumes or a better good life. But instead, the answer, the remedy, is this no thing compares king that we have in Jesus. For us this morning, we must focus on Christ and his eternity. We must be focused on him and him alone. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are the bread of life. That though we look at Jesus coming to earth and being wrapped in swaddling clothes and looking so normal, and we get confused sometimes and say, he looks just like us, so we can be just like him. God, remind us of your words from Philippians 2. That though he came and took a form of a servant, God, that there is only one name that all will bow to, and that is the name of Jesus. So God, as we, even in this moment, compare what has been said to what we want, compare what we think to what we should know, God, help us not to trust in ourselves, our false words, but to trust in Christ and Christ alone. And God, as we begin to compare even this week the things that we don't have, the things that we want, the better person we want to be, whatever the case may be, God, let us resolve to come before you in humility not as the Pharisee who brags and boasts in his own righteous works, but as the lowly sinner, unworthy of being in your presence, yet being saved not because of his own attitude or his own actions, but all because of who you are, God. So let us adore you and you alone. Because, God, we know your word has just told us. We're acknowledging this, that nothing compares to you. God, help us to respond in obedience to you and to you alone, and thus glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.